Thank you for joining us again with the Fastest Known Podcast. We're back on a regular every Friday schedule. Last week we did two special editions due to the worldwide pandemic. And indeed, we're going to do a little transition this time. We're going to talk with a young man, very fast guy, who is the 50-mile road champion last year and did some FKTs in Ecuador, Peru, and Nepal. But currently, a nice little transition here, we're going to learn that he is currently in self-quarantine out in California. And I'm speaking with Tyler Andrews. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too because, wow, you went to Everest Base Camp. This, these are in uh, the Salcante version of the Inca Trail. We're going to get into this. These are fun, fun uh, routes. But first, mm-hmm. what does self-quarantine mean? I mean, is that the same? Most people are in a shelter-in-place order. Florida mm-hmm. finally did that today, Thursday, uh, on April 2nd. They were a little late to the game, but I live in Colorado. We did that a couple weeks ago. California was the first state to do it. So is you being in self-quarantine different than a shelter-in-place order? The short answer is is no, practically not really. Um, I When I came back from Nepal, uh, everything was really escalating really, really quickly. This was about two weeks ago. And at first, it, it, I, I was planning to spend really only maybe a few days to a week or so here in California visiting some friends and then go back to the East Coast uh, to see my parents. And it was during that time, it might have even been when I was in the air, that they imposed the shelter-in-place order in California. And my parents said, you know, you really need to need to stay out there for two weeks uh, before you come back. Both my parents are, are in their 60s, so they're, they're high risk, and I, I didn't want to put them at risk after traveling. And, you know, the, the risk to me was actually derived from the flight. I mean, I was in Nepal, I was basically in the mountains and saw almost no one. And at the time, there were zero cases in Nepal. So Nepal was actually a much safer place to be than the United States. It was more that I then had to fly from Nepal to Doha and then all the way to Los Angeles and then here to San Luis Obispo. So there was a lot of travel, a lot of time in little metal tubes breathing other people's germs. So that was it was the, the travel day that I was more worried about. And pragmatically, what does it look like here to be a, a self-quarantined runner? Um, luckily, I live with my training partner and his girlfriend, so I'm able to still go outside, still run with him. Um, and that's pretty much the only time I go outside. I'm, I'm, I'm otherwise in the house here. We're really lucky in that we're, we're staying at a friend's beach house here, so we, we've got a nice place to ourselves. We've got it's a very sleepy town, so we're able to go out and, and run without, you know, violating our, our social distance guidelines without getting too close to people. And um, other than that, that, that's really been it. Um, you know, I think we'll make one trip to the grocery store this weekend or something. But other than that, we've we've just been, you know, same as pretty much everyone else in the United States. But I'm really grateful that I'm able to still get outside. I have a lot of friends in, uh, in Ecuador and Latin America who are on orders. Literally only urgencies are the only reason they're allowed to go outside. So... I have friends who've posted videos of them literally running in circles on the roofs of their apartment buildings and things like that. People going pretty stir crazy down there. So I'm, you know, it's a, it's an unprecedented time, but I'm really grateful for the life that I'm able to, to continue living while I'm here. 
Excellent story. I appreciate that very much. Nepal wasn't the problem. It was the airplane and the airports. I think that's entirely appropriate. That's how mm-hmm. the virus was spreading. And then I think your parents said it well, you know, let's give it the 14 days. And 14 days is correct because mm-hmm. people can be asymptomatic characters and take uh, carriers and can take time for it to manifest. So 14 yep. days is scientifically valid. And then, like you say, Cayucos, that's a suburb of Slowtown, baby. That's uh, world class. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. We've got, like I have told people, you know, we've got basically beach in our front yard and mountains in our backyard, so really can't complain. No, and six-foot distance. You have about, to the west, you have about, uh, what is that, 1,000-mile social distancing uh, looking (laughs) to the west. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got a big ocean out there. Okay, well, good job there. And then some of the finest Pinot Noir in the world is 20 miles to the east. So I'm I'm feeling a little envious right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I keep telling people like really, it's funny because we were like, oh my gosh, we're stuck here now because California has basically banned all non-essential travel. So we're kind of here indefinitely until things, um, you know, hopefully loosen up a little bit in the next you know month or so. And it's like, well, we really couldn't have picked a better place to get stuck, honestly. So we're we're lucky that. You know, none of us are by ourselves. We're we've got each other here to to keep each other company, to go running, to you know just hang out. So we're not going totally stir crazy. And um, you know, we got a nice place. We've got a beautiful environment. So really, all things considered, you know, it's a really hard situation for a lot of people. And I'm I'm in a pretty good place. Well said, Tyler. Excellent. Appreciate that. And thank you for following this the physical distancing rules so adroitly while you're out there. Pardon me, I. I, I've dropped the term social distancing. I think it's incorrect. I strongly oh, believe politics. in physical distancing, but yep. I think I also believe in social connection. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm repurposing the word, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. I think that that's that's the way to do it. I mean, obviously the term stuck originally, but I think that a lot of people are experiencing that, that they are in in keeping physically distant from others, they are feeling a stronger need to connect socially with others. So I think it is an important distinction. You know, you're you're seeing a lot of people kind of reconnecting with old friends via phone or video call or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's honestly a nice silver lining that you're getting out of this. Is oh yeah, like I've been like on the phone with a lot of people I haven't talked to in a while in the last you know couple of weeks just because everybody has more time. Hundred percent agreed. Well said. This is great conversation. Thanks, Tyler. Now, moving it forward, actually moving it backward, I'm yeah. noticing on your resume, it's a, it kind of catches my eye. So you, and I often go on to Ulta sign up to check out people's resumes, which sometimes go on for like eight pages. You, <laughs> you have like three races there. One was last year at the 50-mile road championships, which you won. There wasn't any second or third or fourth or fifth places going back. You just started off winning it. So what's up with that? I mean, uh, you must have been running for a while successfully. Yeah, so I really came to the ultra world from a pretty traditional track and field and cross country in college and then moving up to road races after college and then spent a few years running half marathons, marathons. Um, I didn't run my first 50K until 2015, I think, was uh, the first time I ran 50K nationals. Maybe it was 2016, I can remember. Um, but yeah, I, I was second at 50K nationals in my first ultra um, and made the 50K world championship team. And it was a lot of fun, but I still kind of thought of myself as a marathoner at that point. 
Um, so, you know, ran the 2016 Olympic marathon trials, uh, did the 50 K again, um, the 50 K team for youth team USA and, and had a really good race in 2016. I finished second at 50 K world championships. Um, and then I was like, Oh man, this like, I'm like better at the 50 K than I am at the marathon. What's going on? So that was kind of when I started thinking like, man, maybe I should take this ultra stuff a little bit more seriously, but you know, I think I still just came from that background of college running and, you know, I, I wasn't really part of the ultra world. The 50 K I kind of treated just like a marathon. It's just a little bit longer. Um, I never called myself an ultra runner. I never thought of myself as an ultra runner. And, um, you know, I, I, I took a crack at the 50 K world record in 2018 and just missed it. Ran the, the second fastest time by an American at, 246 and then I think by that point I had started to really connect more with the ultra community and that was when I kind of started to have this attitudinal shift of like hey this these people are really cool and the stuff they're doing is super crazy um and that kind of attracted me I think you're correct then one out of two really cool at all but it is crazy uh so you got 50 50 you're doing pretty well there <laughs> yeah but but yeah it was really the people it was really the people that they kind of just you know i i i really was honestly inspired i i'm trying to remember you know it might have been as late as in early 2019 um, so Hoka put on Hoka is my sponsor and Hoka put on this event called project carbon X, um, which was an attempt at the hundred K and 50 mile world records, um, which, uh, Jim Wamsley ran and set the 50 mile world record. And I, I was also in that race and dropped out. Um, but I think it was like in the prep and like kind of promotional events and then the race itself, it was during that, that I really connected with a lot of these ultra guys and men and women. And was just like, wow, these people are so cool. And the stuff they're doing is so unbelievable. And it kind of reframed ultra in my mind. I think there's, there's this attitude of kind of road and marathon elitism. If you come from that background where, you know, if you read let's run.com or something, they're always kind of downplaying the ultra world and, oh yeah, whatever he ran a hundred miles, but he only ran 10 minute miles. That's easy. It's jogging, it's walking, whatever. And you know, there's, there's this very like patronizing way that people look at it. And I think that that like permeates the, the psyches of a lot of young runners, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously. And, and you're kind of like always like, oh yeah, ultra. Okay. Whatever. That that's its own thing. And it wasn't until I met some of these people and was like, oh my gosh, these guys are really legit. The stuff they're doing is super hard. And really, like once I started taking a crack at it, like running the the Salkantai Trail, the Salkantai Inca Trail, for example, you know, that was when I started to be like, okay, this stuff is really hard, but it's also really cool, and I love it, and it's really fun. And that was when I started saying, yeah, I want to, I want to try some of this stuff. And you know, I've always loved the mountains. I've always been a big hiker, climber, mountaineer. Um, in addition to, to running, but I've always kind of kept that part of my life separate. It always felt kind of like that was my hobby and running was my work and it was a different thing. And all of a sudden I was like, man, I can combine these things. Like, this is super cool. And yeah, now it's like, I, that's one of the things that I love to do. And, and I still, I still love to run fast. I still love to hit the track. I still love to do, you know, fast 
marathon workouts. You know, I just ran the Olympic marathon trials and stuff. Um, but I think for me, I've always been someone who's gotten better as the, dis- the as the distance has gotten longer, whether that was, you know, from high school to college or from college to the roads or from half marathon to full marathon or marathon to 50K. So it's like, why would I assume that that's going to stop? Like, it, and it hasn't. I've, I've still been getting better as distance has been going up. So I think that, you know, my future is, is in the ultra world. And now I, I can safely call myself an ultra marathoner and feel good about oh that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, come over to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, that's but right. Aside, you're very well spoken, very good description. So I have to quick ask, what was your marathon trials time? So I had a, a kind of rough buildup for the marathon trials. I was dealing with some some health issues, uh, some personal issues. And so I, I didn't have the, the buildup that I wanted to. And I went in with really low expectations. So that said, I, I, I ran 222.50, I think. Uh, and I finished 82nd out of, I think, 250 or so, um, which on paper is like pretty, pretty disappointing based on where I would have wanted to be like three months before that. Um, but if you look at where I was three weeks before that, I was really pleased with it. I was really pleased with how I ran the race. Um, I started out super conservatively and I think I passed like over a hundred runners and was only passed by two in the last 20 miles of the race. So I just, it's a really fun way to run a big marathon is to start out conservatively when everybody else goes out really aggressively and you're just catching people the entire way. So it was um, a lot easier. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You get so much positive reinforcement every single time you move up from group to group. So yeah, it was, it was a very tough day for a lot of people. Um, but it was, it was honestly, it was a good day for me. Excellent. Good call. Well, that's an amazing transition you've made. And I, I thank you for explaining that you've always been a mountain guy, a hiker, a climber, things like that, because otherwise mm-hmm. this didn't make sense because <laughs> you know, there's, there's plenty of marathoners, uh, yeah. super fast guys who really struggle on trails, mm-hmm. particularly if they mm-hmm. go up and down and get technical. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. who are even doing trails now who still struggle on the technical. So the fact that you do have some background there makes a little more sense. Otherwise, Looking at your uh, CV here, it would be a little odd to see this <laughs> transition take place so successfully and rapidly. Uh, I appreciate that. You had a little bit of a background there. And I also like to note that at the higher levels, having good turnover doesn't hurt anybody, right? Right. If, right. You, bring, if you bring that type of conditioning into a trail ultra race, you're going to be out there trotting comfortably while other people are going to be going at 80%. And so right. having that, bringing that speed into it is really a big help. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I found, you know, for example, when I ran the Salkanchai Inca Trail FKT back last summer, I did absolutely zero trail work before that race. I was training for 50K World Championships. So every single thing I was doing was geared toward that. The Salkanchai FKT was like, this is a cool thing I'm going to do for fun. It's going to be a long effort, but I did absolutely no work to prepare for that. I mean, other than the fact that I was living at altitude and was running on dirt roads, that was the closest that I had to kind of specific preparation for that. And and Salkantai is an interesting route. We, we can talk more about details later because some of it is really, really technical and steep and hilly and, and, and high, and some of it is very runnable. So it kind of played into both those strengths a little bit, But but I'm a strong believer in the fact that yeah, just like general running fitness, anything that is still a, a running race or a bipedal race, even you could say, 
you're going to benefit from being a strong runner, whether, whether it's a, you know, 50 K or a hundred miles, you know, you have to, you have to be able to run now. Now, obviously if you're talking about a super technical race where it's more of, of hiking and it's more about, you know, how fast can you run down these technical descents, then those are more skill specific things. And I've had some experiences like that where I've just gotten totally smoked by guys who have those skill sets really well honed in and I don't. Um, but I think anything that really requires any kind of actual running, um, you're going to benefit whether you're in, you know, marathon shape or, or hundred mile shape. Right. Good point. And, uh, um, <laughs> indeed, well, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to that comment when we go into the, uh, <laughs> okay. space aspect because there's this, well, let's touch on it right now. Cause I'm just staring at this. Sure. Okay. Um, we got the there's kind of three FKTs in Everest Space Camp. It's by the way, for listeners should note that we don't always do that. You know, some routes it's just going to be a one way. You can go either direction. People often say they kind of want to pile on the FKTs a little bit <laughs> and go out and back, go one way, go the other way. Do it in winter, do it in summer. And generally speaking, we don't do that. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, we keep uh, the route and the FKTs. And we just say. Do it the fastest way you can. That's the FKT. But something like Everest Space Camp, which is iconic, it's massive, then we do allow the up only, the down only, and the round trip. And Mm -hmm. so on your day, you did all three. And this was just, you know, what, three weeks ago. But the Mm -hmm. up and the down time are quite odd. I mean, the the, the difference between your up and your down, there almost isn't any difference. So mm-hmm. what, what's up with that? Well, what's up with that is I was totally worked at the end and the down comes second. <laughs> so I, I just lost a lot of time, honestly. That's the, the truth. Um, no, I, I mean, the, so first of all, let me, let, me, let me make a quick comment about the, the out and back versus the one way. So part of the reason that I wanted to do the out and back um, besides wanting to try something really long is that you can't actually do a one-way FKT because you can't stay at Everest Base Camp um, when you go in March. There's nothing there. It's literally just a pile of rocks. Um, so you, you, if you, either way, if you go uphill and you get to EBC, you would have to then turn around and go back down to the, the next town because you can't spend the night there. There's nowhere to stay and it's 53 60 meters up and you know you wouldn't want to camp up there by yourself anyways so um and and vice versa you wouldn't be able to stay there the night before and then start a downhill uh attempt so um you know maybe during climbing season you could arrange to have a tent or something waiting for you and do a really fast one way um but logistically it's just it'd be really complicated to do a one-way attempt um uh, on that i think that the guy who had set the downhill must have been coming down from from a climbing tent or something um so that's just a little bit of background on the the one way versus the, the right. round trip. Otherwise, you're back you're backtracking down to Teng Boche. Right. Exactly. Um, so, anyway, the the up and down for me, yeah, I, I really wanted to push the uphill one. Um, that was really, you know, to me, that was the more interesting uh, side to be able to push myself really hard on. I've always been a really good, really strong climber, especially at altitude. And so I thought, okay, this is the side that I can really kind of hammer. And then coming down, it's going to be hard. It's going to be way longer than anything I've ever done before. I mean, before this, this route is 104 kilometers round trip and took me 23 hours and 42 minutes. And 
the longest distance I'd ever run was that 150 mile race. So 80 K and the longest time I'd ever been on my feet. I don't even know. It's probably, probably like six or eight hours, some big trail day somewhere, but like totally outside my wheelhouse. And I kind of knew that going in I was like, okay, like it's very possible that if I hammer all the way up there, I'm basically just gonna have to walk back down and, I just went into it kind of with attitude of like, I just don't know what's going to happen in the second half of this. And so I got up, I felt pretty strong most of the way until, you know, maybe above 5,000 meters. It was really hard. Um, but then coming back down, I, I honestly expected to run much faster on the way back down. I think I got up there in 11 hours and I was like, Oh, sweet. I'm going to run like 20 hours or something. So I'm going to negative split by like an hour or two because there's, it's so net downhill. I mean, the, the total elevation is huge because it's rolling, but even the net is like, uh, I think you start at 2,700 meters and the top is 5,360. So what is that? 2,600 meters of gain, um, yeah, like 9,000 yeah. 9, feet of gain almost. Net, yeah, that's net gain, like you that's said. Net yes. gain? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's a lot more than that because it is up and down quite a bit. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have 9,000 feet of descent. I'm going to freaking fly down this thing it's gonna be no problem it's gonna be way easier but um that was the part that my body was just not prepared for it was just all that descent and so well actually sorry let me, there's, there's like so much to talk about here so there, there were two issues one was that i was totally worked the second was that um the trail we, we'd gotten snow the day before and so in the morning the trail was like some of it was icy but mostly it was like a lot of it was hard packed snow which was great to run on it was super nice and smooth and it was whatever midnight to 7 a.m so there was no one out there no one had run on it yet or walked on it yet by the afternoon it had been super sunny all day all that mud, snow had melted into mud and so now this beautiful runnable piece um from I don't know. Maybe it's like basically the last 25 K is decently runnable. And that became a absolute mud pit in a lot of spots. So where it's like, Oh, I should have been able to run pretty at a pretty decent pace. Even if my legs were feeling good, I wasn't able to do that just because I was like, you know, up to my shins and mud in a lot of places. Cause it'd been stomped down by all the other hikers and yaks and donkeys and whomever else were passing through this, this area. So yeah, there, there, are, there are a few reasons that, that it was slow. Honestly, I'm not going to make an excuse, though. It was mostly that I was really, really tired. Um, and just, you know, the last, the very last piece, which goes from Namche Bazaar, which is kind of um, the penultimate big town, back to Luklo, which is the, the gateway to Everest region where the airport is, is about 18 kilometers and a decent decent amount of gains rolling. Um, but it's fairly runnable. And I'd done that stretch in the morning in three hours and i'd done it a couple of times before around three to three and a half hours and i think it took me four and a half hours to get back so it was like almost 50 percent slower and and that was just because i was so tired i i there were pieces where i should have been running and i just couldn't i was just i was power hiking was going to be quicker than jogging at that point my, my legs were so sore classic yep. Yep. <laughs> and i should interject for sure listeners definitely Go to the show notes on the website, fastestknowntime.com, of course, because we're going to post a trip report that Tyler wrote. He wrote a really long trip report here that's good. It's really good reading. And Tyler, you took good photos along the way. My little joke when we were 
which I was thinking about when we were talking about road running and marathon versus ultra running, is that marathoners do not leave the house without a watch. They look at their watch (laughs) every two minutes while uh, ultra runners bring a camera. That's the difference. And you brought a camera, you made good use of it. So if people go to the show notes, look up Tyler's trip report, good photos, and uh, what a trip. So the, the actual numbers, like you said, you went from Lukla, which is the end of the road, if I may put it that fashion, to EBC in 11 hours and a minute, and mm-hmm. then you came back down in 12 and a half hours. Yep. So, wow, man, that's that's classic, isn't it? Yeah. It's just classic stuff. And so, yeah. of course, someone says, oh, heck, I can do better than that. The obvious answer is, great, have at yeah. it. <laughs> Go do it, and, that, and that's. I think I even wrote that in my trip reporter on on the FKT submission or something. It's like people, someone can run much faster than this on this route, um, especially on the downhill. Like if you pace yourself a little bit better on the up, and if the conditions are better, you know, even just the conditions. If that if that um, that middle stretch were were not so muddy and the outbound weren't so snowy in a couple places, because I didn't bring micro spikes or anything when. I, I'd done a bunch of kind of scouting of this route. I'd been in the Himalaya for almost two weeks by the time I did the FKT and, and had hiked the whole route and had hiked a bunch of other routes. And I'd, I'd always hiked with a, with a little tiny um, just boot cramp on that, that you can slip on over a, over a running shoe. Um, I just I did the whole thing in my Hoka Trail Shoes Challengers. Uh, and this uh, th- that was like I was doing a lot of kind of mental arithmetic about what I was going to bring and how much it weighed in my pack and stuff. And, and the crampons were the, the one of the few things that I, I decided not to bring. And, and there were really only a handful of spots, but I definitely lost a lot of time in those spots. And they were mostly steep downhill where the trail had been worn really smooth on the snow. Um, so it was, it was basically like a really steep ice face basically that you're trying to go down and navigating those without crampons on the actual FKT day was, was definitely a challenge and, you know, took some serious care to not hurt myself and take a, take a big, big fall. But I think it was worth it to not have, have the weight for all 104 kilometers. Right. Also, there's the hassle factor, at least for me. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you get in that mode, you want to put your head down, you want to go. You don't want to stop. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but what a stretch for you, Tyler. <laughs> Look at this. So base camp is 5,364 meters. That's 17,600 feet. Yep. And that's, wow, you, you kind of stretched your limits. Right. And you said you'd been on just on your feet for maximum six or seven hours. Yep. This was almost 24 hours. Mm-hmm. That, now that's a big stretch. Yeah, and honestly, part of the reason... When I went to Nepal, I actually wasn't really planning on doing this. I had again, I had just run the I'd run the Olympic trials two weeks before this FKT attempt, so this was really kind of just me going on vacation to like romp around in the mountains, which you know I tend to do something like that after a big training block. And it wasn't until after kind of the first week I was there, when I'd been out of uh, you know internet and phone communication for for a week or so, and that first week was kind of when all of the COVID-19 stuff started blowing up in the United States and everything was getting canceled. Races were getting canceled. The NBA was canceled. School was shut down. All this stuff was happening. And I started talking to my family. I talked to my coach, my agent. It's like, there's not going to be any races in April and there's probably not going to be any races in May. And I was like, well, and I, I knew about the EBC FKT and, and I had actually gone up in um, just two days doing it hiking when people had told me it was going to take like six days or something. I was like, well, this is going well. So I thought, 
okay, I'm just going to do this FKT and it's totally crazy and I'm totally not prepared for it um, in terms of having done anything that long, but I, I don't really have anything to lose. and I, I want to do something hard because I might not have the opportunity to, to really test myself like this in a, in a kind of race situation for a while. So, and, and that ended up working out well because now, you know, here I am, I'm basically, you know, stuck in the, stuck in my house here and, um, you know, there aren't going to be any races for a few months and even getting somewhere to do an FKT uh, is, is, you know, not really in the cards right now in California. We're not supposed to do any kind of unnecessary travel. So in the end, yeah, it seemed like it was a, it was a good decision. Wow. Your timing was spectacular. It was. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. And I should note that that FKT that you broke was held by a friend of mine, Pimba Sherpa. Oh, really? Yeah, Boulder, Colorado. Imagine that. (laughs) Yeah, he owns a restaurant here. Really nice man. Oh, so indeed. So good for you. Well, we. I just want to bounce back here because your recent list here is so interesting. Uh, Ecuador, Peru. We should mention the Inca Trail is extremely well known. But Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, since I haven't Mm -hmm. been there in some time. Mm -hmm. You basically can't run the Inca Trail. It's very, very tightly um, regulated. You have to go with a guide. You basically have to go with trips, uh, guided trips that take multiple days. They did have one race per year on the Inca Trail. So that that was possible. Is that race still taking place? Probably not this year because I think it's in April, um, April or May. But it is still a regular thing. The yeah. So when I submitted the documentation for that FKT the first time, one of the things that I wrote was, you know, that first of all there are several, well, there there are thousands of miles of Inca Trail. Um, Right. In in Peru, that route that people think of as the Inca Trail is called the Classic Inca Trail. Um, Right. And it's about 40 kilometers. It runs from just uh, just outside Oriente Tambo to Aguas Calientes. Uh, or sorry, not to Aguas Calientes. It goes right into Machu Picchu. Um, and it follows an old Inca road. There's tons of ruins. It's super famous. And it's super, super highly regulated by the Peruvian government. So super. The, and it's also really crowded. Um, so those are the two reasons that an FKT on that route is not really feasible outside of the actual race circumstance. But I think that kind of violates the spirit of an FKT if it's during a race, is my recollection. So, right. yes, there's a there's a race record for the Inca Trail Marathon. But outside of that, there's really no running that's feasible or permitted just because a, the trail is so crowded, and in some pl- it, it's literally an Inca road, so it's like the width of a twin bed in some places, and it's basically like you're walking on a stone wall, um, and that's why it's so heavily regulated. There are no pack animals allowed. Um, there are only so many people allowed on it per day. Um, a, a lot of the time, almost every group uses human porters, so even if you only have a group of five trekkers, you might have 20 porters carrying all their stuff. So you have just these massive parties of people that clog up the trail. Um, if anyone's interested in going to Peru and hiking to Machu Picchu, I would really recommend um, doing Salkantay Trail or Lares Trail over the Classic Inca Trail. It's going to be like a tenth of the price. It's going to be a better experience if you're looking to get away from the crowds. You're going to have way more flexibility in terms of what you can do. You don't have to plan it a year in advance to get the permits. It's, it's just a way better experience overall, in my opinion, having done, having done all of them. Um, and, and yes, yeah, Alcantai is the one that 
to me, I think is, is the hardest. It's the highest trail. It's the longest trail. Um, it's, I think has the best scenery. Um, and it's interesting again, for me as a, coming from a, a real traditional running background in that some of the part, some parts of it are super runnable. So it kind of combines, uh, some really traditional trail stuff, some really high altitude. I think it gets up to 16 or 16,000 feet maybe, um, in the first high pass. But then some of it is like, there's a section that's like maybe 15 K that's basically on a fire road. Um, and so that part you can really roll on if you're, if you're pacing yourself well. And, and when I did that one back in August, I had a great day and felt really great in that section. And, you know, that, that, that was a lot of fun for me, but then again, you have another really technical ascent and descent after that. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of both. I'm glad I asked Tyler. That's my experience as well. So thank you for elucidating that. So for travelers, there's probably 10,000 kilometers of Incan trail. They're still right. on the Altiplano. So right. over the, the, the three countries and the Inca trail is a different deal. It's <laughs> so different than anything else. So definitely, I mean, Machu Picchu is certainly worth it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. amazing. But thank you, Tyler. You, there's a lot of other things one can do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Peru, so I, a little bit of background for why I know so much about Inca trails in Peru and stuff. So I, I run a program uh, called Strive, uh, and every summer since 2000, this will be my, well, if I go this summer, it'd be my 10th summer down there. And I lead groups of uh, high school and college kids down there. And our niche is kind of that we work specifically with runners. Um, and it's kind of a combination between a running camp and an international service learning program. So kids come mostly from the U.S. and they're there for anywhere between three and eight weeks. And we're doing running. We're running at altitude in these beautiful places up in the mountains. Um, but then we're also trying to teach them about the culture down there and doing some meaningful service projects as well. So that's, that's why I've spent so much time in that area. Um, have a little bit of background about the trails and stuff. I was, thank you. Tyler's wondering about, you seem to be very knowledgeable. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And for people listening again, go to the show notes on the website and I will put uh, yours, Tyler's um, website, because that sounds like a good strive might be something you might want to sign up for. I'll put that on the show notes and I'll also put your trip report for the Everspace camp. And of course, anyone who finds any of these conversations interesting can go to fastknowntime.com under athletes, pull that down and type in Tyler Andrews and you can see the different FKTs you've done. You can look up the trip reports, look up the time. So there's further reading available. Well, Tyler, here we are. Now, this is a tough question, but normally at this point in the conversation, I always ask, what's next? Hmm. Oddly, we do not know what's next. (laughs) But what are you thinking? Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could tell you what's next. Um, It seems like every day is bringing surprises, and most of them are not good for a lot of people. Um, I mean, honestly, right now I'm in the same boat as a lot of runners in the – just kind of playing things day by day and week by week. I mean, obviously the kind of entire global and national situation is pushing my own personal running goals to a back burner in terms of what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm thinking about my parents' health and safety, my other friends and family all over the world, the state of the country and the world, 
these are kind of dominating my thoughts right now. Um, and at the same time, I think running is something that's really good to have as something that you do every day or twice a day that you can go out and get away from that stuff for a little bit because, you know, this is important. It's an unprecedented time that we're living through right now something that's going to affect the course of history for a long time. But at the same time, it's important to be able to just get out there and, and have some moments of beauty and nature and the things that we all love about running, um, whether it's, you know, through the mountains or, or on the track. So I've been trying to, to look at my running as, as just something that I have the privilege of doing every day, whether it's, whether it's for a specific race or an FKT or anything like that, I don't really know. Um, there are definitely things on my radar that I had lined up this year. Um, my big goal race for the spring was going to be the Comrades Marathon. It hasn't been canceled yet, but I would honestly be very surprised if they still uh, held that race just based on everything I've heard. Um, it's mid-June and a lot of later races like Western States and you know, obviously the Olympic Games have already been uh, canceled or postponed. So, you know, part of me is like, oh, yeah, comrades, I'm still kind of thinking about what would I be doing if I were doing comrades. But at, at the same time, most of me has accepted that that's probably not going to happen. Um, and like I said, we're technically not supposed to be traveling anywhere, basically, other than the grocery store or medical appointments right now here in California. So, you know, I've, I've looked at other FKTs. Um, the Zion Traverse is one that I'm really interested in and in trying out. Um, but again, just the ability to travel right now is hindered. And that's it's not something that's in the cards in certainly right now or in, in the coming weeks. Um, one thing that I am going to do in the very short term is uh, this company, a Canadian company, is putting on a virtual backyard ultra um, this weekend, actually, so on Saturday. And this is something I found out just a couple days ago. And I, again, it's kind of like Everest in that it's something that I had absolutely no idea about or have any experience in or, or have any reason to do. But it's more just like my training partner and I were, you know, browsing the internet and found this, uh, I think it was on Reddit or something. And we're like, oh, this sounds kind of fun. Like, I wonder how you would do this. Like, and sorry for your listeners who don't know. So the backyard ultra, um, this has apparently become a thing that other people do. I, I had heard of it through Biggs backyard ultra, which is the famous, and I assume the original one, which involves running, yes. running a, a 6.7 or 4.1 mile, sorry, 6.7 K 4.1 mile loop, um, starting every hour. And it's the last man standing race. So you have to run starting on the hour basically four miles of this loop for as many hours as you can. Um, and a quick, a quick note, Tyler, as you're well aware, mm -hmm. the last big backyard ultra was the last woman standing. Right. Yes, that's right. It was the last woman standing. That's correct. Um, and I should note that people can go and Google this. Turns out it just blew up. Good old Laz, good old Gary Contrell <laughs> thought of something no one else had thought of before. So now there's like 10 of these in Sweden alone. Oh so the yeah, it's just crazy. So you're thinking of doing that virtually this Saturday? Yeah, I'm planning to. I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it until the end. Um, I know that off the bat, just because I don't want to like totally destroy myself and like end up taking a month off or something. I'd like to kind of keep in a rhythm of running. But I think my 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 partner, my training partner here and I, we're we've we've mapped out a, a loop and 
I think we're looking to do maybe 12, 12 would be 50 miles. Um, and that, I think that would be a pretty, pretty fun experiment without like totally wrecking ourselves. Um, so that, that's kind of the idea. And, and it, again, it's like, it's kind of an interesting time because it's like, there's like literally no other time in the last 10 years where with like four days notice, I would consider just like running this weird 50 mile kind of semi stage race. Like it's like zero days where I would have been able to do that. So now it's like, yeah, I have, well, I don't have anything else going on and this is like super weird and sounds kind of fun. So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and like now we're doing it. So that's, that's kind of the short term idea is just like being really flexible and open and just like saying yes to things that I might normally say no to just because they don't fit into a schedule. But that's, I guess the freedom of not having a schedule is being able to say yes to more things. Tyler, you have brilliantly espoused what many of us are thinking. So thanks very much for taking the time and connecting us. You did a great job of verbalizing what a lot of people are thinking and feeling so this is a great time to connect, and I definitely hope to stay in touch and hear from you again. Absolutely. Let's let's do it. I'll, I'll keep you posted on, on whatever the next FKT is, and, and hopefully we can chat again. 